0: Now, without further ado, this episode of the Daily Reprieve.
1: Be we where I'm um, supposed to be right this minute. Welcome to this meeting of Sexaholics Anonymous. Uh, the name of this meeting is Seasoned Fellows Forum. Jesus. Issues and Essay. Please take a moment to silence all electronic devices. If you need to use yours during this meeting, please take it outside. We ask that you not make any personal recording of this or any meeting. Please join me in a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. The prayer, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. In the spirit of carrying the essay message, this meeting is being recorded. If you are not sure your share will be appropriate or on topic, please participate by listening. The recording equipment will not be turned off for any reason. If you wish to share, please speak directly into the microphone so that the listener can follow you. If you wish not to be recorded, we invite you to participate by listening or attending another session. Please do not touch any of the recording equipment. Okay. So, we are supposed to share our experience, strength, and hope on uh, Sexaholics Anonymous as we have known it over the years. And uh, which of you fellows wants
2: to go first? Harvey. Harvey. Oh, thanks, guys.
3: <laughs>
4: what it is? None of us prepare. Okay, so we're winging it. <laughs> and I'm Harvey Asher, a sexaholic, I'm Harvey. and I've been sexually sober uh 33 years and 10 months. Want you to know that. Um, on this panel are three of the four most senior men in SA. Uh Dave H would be the other one. Uh we're um, we're three miracles. Um, Mike came in as a kid <laughs> in his twenties. So it's possible for people who are young. Uh, Art and I came in in our 40s. I've been speaking to Art almost uh, a great deal of the time, almost every day for years and years, and now at least a few times a week, uh, for over 30 years. Uh, We know each other better than anybody could ever know each other, probably even our wives. And yet, we rarely meet. We hardly talk to each other, other than at certain times. This we have what you will have, and might already have, something Jess taught me, which is we are called spiritual friends. Friends. Uh, We're connected from our weaknesses. There are no stronger ties, I've found, in my 78 years of life. To share, to be connected by our weaknesses. Uh, We each know each other more than we know ourselves in a way. And this is a miracle of the program. Again, what Jess would say: you take a dirty dish and you put it in dirty water, and they both come out clean. What a miracle. So some nut calls someone who's even nuttier, and they get off the phone, and they're both well. both healthier. True miracle. You know, for whatever reason, uh, this conference is bringing to my mind uh, an issue we don't talk about. (laughs) Maybe this evening I'll mention it. The fourth dimension. We don't talk about the fourth dimension, the issue of the fourth dimension. You know? What does it mean to be catapulted? into a fourth dimension. Logic won't explain any of this. How can I feel closer to some Chicago Irish Catholic, a Jew from New York, some Southern guy, well originally from New York, another Catholic these Catholics have taken over right? <laughs> And yet we have connections that can only be stated in the fourth dimension. How did a stockbroker end up getting so involved with a physician who lived hundreds of miles away? This The mind cannot comprehend this kind of life that we get in this program. Uh, we're going to be facing many issues in the future for SA. Um, and there's nothing to be controversial about. It's we're living in a very transitional time. Gender is being eliminated. The concept of gender. We've already have one person in the fellowship in in Nashville that, you know, I just thought he was a kind of tall, lanky, clean-shaven guy. And then one of my, two of my sponsees called me the same day this guy's been coming for months and said, do you think that person could be a woman? Well, turned out this person was big into the transsexual movement of gender change. And she was in the process of operations. We didn't even know It's getting to a point you can't hardly use a pronoun, a gender pronoun. How is essay going to deal with that? I have no idea. But somehow, it will work out. (laughs) This, it always has. It doesn't matter what issue comes up. I have discovered in essay, if you stay the hell away from it, you stay sober, and you move on. And it works its way out. I
2: don't know how it does.
4: Because there are no issues that could really affect us, especially locally, that's all you need is a disagreement, two guys in a coffee pot. You have another meeting. So you don't have to sit around in a meeting arguing with each other. I'm really talking traditions now. Issues are not part of our tradition. You don't have to control your local meeting. If it's not going exactly the way you like it, start another meeting as long as you're having, using the basic definitions of S.A. So if you start finding your local areas are just getting all tense, you're arguing over this and that, let it go. Now what is the essence of addiction? Please tell me, you know me, guys. So I'll never stop. <laughs> what is the essence of addiction? Control. We live in a delusion and illusion that we are in control. We could masturbate only one time today. We could control We could control that fantasy. It it will be okay. I could just play with that thought for a little bit. No. The program is based on our first step. We are without power. We are in control of nothing. We are powerless. So the moment we use that horrible word that should be removed from anyone's vocabulary, in my opinion, in recovery. I'm struggling. You can't struggle in recovery. It. You'll always lose. You cannot fight anything or anyone. You will always lose. You surrender. And surrender doesn't necessarily mean becoming a vegetable. No, I'm not going to make a big argument out of this. I'm going to start another meeting. We once had a guy, and I'll oh end with this and then. We once had a guy who had lots of sobriety in our local meeting. And he relapsed and his wife divorced him. And he got his sobriety. And he and his wife got back together. Except they didn't get married. And he was saying how sober he was. And he was getting all these spunk saying how sober he was. And two of us eventually went up to him, and we were good friends for years. You're not sober according to S.A. definition. She's my wife. No, she's not your wife. He said, what are you, a Gestapo agent? Of all people that tell me I'm a Gestapo agent. And this guy knew my background. He didn't talk to me for a year, but need to tell you what I said to I said, I cannot make you stop saying it. I cannot make you stop saying it. I have no control over you. No one could kick you out. No one could do anything. But if you keep saying this, every time you say it, I will get up and say, I am having an essay meeting in the next room because you single-handedly are changing this to another fellowship. And I can't stop it, but I will leave. From then on, he starts saying, I'm sober today. I made a decision not to make a big deal of it. It sounded like he surrendered, too. I needed to surrender a little. Eventually, he remarried her and there was no big deal. And and after some years, he began talking to me again. (laughs) As my sponsor would show me, surrender, let go, the more you hold on, the worse it gets.
1: Okay, guys. Thanks,
4: Harvey. I have a feeling
3: that this is coming over here. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, guys. I'm Mike, recovering sexaholic. God, I'm here sober today through God's grace and new people. Sober since June 3rd of 1984. Um, well, a couple things. Uh First, I just want to say thank you to some, some people. Uh, to Art, to Harvey, to Sylvia, to Dave, to Dave Maynard. And, you know, you start naming names and then you start skipping people. So I'll stop there, but, uh, it is really, really a thrill for me to come to these conventions and see people that I've stayed sober with for over 30 years. Uh, I can't help but get emotional because it, it just, my life is so good, and it's so good because of what Harvey says uh, of having spiritual friends. And, and I can't think of two better spiritual friends to be sitting on a panel with than you guys. Um, I also want to say thank you to Roy Kay. Uh, Ryan had what I would call a complicated relationship. Uh, but, uh you know, not only did he give us this program in the book... Um, and I know he didn't do that single-handedly, but obviously he was our founder. But although he and I were at loggerheads uh, sometimes, uh, he always took the time to talk. And late in life, he wrote a book outside of the fellowship, and he, he said, "Would I review it for him. And and I did. I, I went through it sentence by sentence and sent him about a five-page critique. And we had a great conversation about it. So I, re- I remember him fondly. Uh, and with gratitude, uh, I want to mention Jess L. And again, as I mention these people, I assume like, well everybody knows who I'm talking about, but obviously there's a whole new generation of people. You may or may not know who I'm talking about, but if you don't, there are tapes out there by Jess. Jess was a wonderful, wonderful member of SA. He, uh, he and I, we had our moments too. <laughs> he once accused me of condemning his entire generation. <laughs> I didn't think I had, but, you know, we, we had our moments too, and, uh but late in life, you know, he, he called me up, and, and I've said this before, but I think it's a good story, he, he called me up late in life, and he was dying, and he called me up, and he said, Mike, I'm dying, and I don't know how to die, and he started weeping on the phone, and I mean, you want to talk about spiritual friendship, oh my God, you know, and, uh. And I didn't know what to say. <laughs> I said something relatively lame, like, "Well, you seem to be doing a pretty good job of it to me, just <laughs> you're, you're on the phone. You're telling the truth. You're, you're being you're being vulnerable. You're being intimate. You're being present." Uh, he was a wonderful guy. Uh, I'm going to mention Jimmy, uh, who was a, a member. uh was a, a fellow Irish Catholic. Um I think it's okay to say he was a priest. He wasn't he wasn't embarrassed about letting folks know that. Uh was my sponsor for many years, was uh a really loving guy. Whenever I walked away from Jim and we had we believe you, we all we've all had our moments. <laughs> you know, but whenever I walked away from Jim I thought this guy really loves me. Maybe God does too. Uh so I think it's important for me anyway to to remember the guys uh who've gone before me, you know, Gordon and uh there's there's you know, again, once you start naming names you you run the risk of skipping people. So I'll I guess I'll stop. Well, I do want to mention one other person. I wanna mention Don Arnold, who was not a member of SA but was a trustee for SA and was a tremendous sponsor for me. Um I would call him maybe once every two, three weeks and uh just a tremendous, tremendous uh support to me and to other members of SA and to SA as a whole. So, I just want to mention those folks just because I do. Um, as far as issues in SA, um, you know, I think what Harvey said is, is really true. Um, you know, we recently, in the last well, two years or so, we had a guy come in and he made it very clear from the outset, he, he said, uh, I'm gay and I'd like to be married someday uh and to a man. And I said, Okay. And he said, So what should I do? And I said, uh, let me call you next week.
2: <laughs>
3: and I called Harvey.
2: <laughs> and I said, No, what the hell do I do?
3: <laughs> and he said, Well, you have the definition. He, he he can he can date, he can do whatever he wants to do, but when he when he if he gets to the point where he's going to be having sex with some guy, whether he's legally married or not, at this point in essay we'd have to ask him not to call himself sober. So I met with him at the beginning and said, this is how we're gonna handle this. We're gonna sponsor you, you're gonna be a full member, you can talk about whatever you want, you can do whatever you want, but if you get to the point that you think you're in a relationship that's gonna become sexual, married or unmarried, by your definition, the state of Illinois' definition, we're gonna ask you to say, as Harvey just said, I'm sober today. And uh and this guy was an interesting guy. I really liked him. He was very serious about being sober. He'd been in the S Fellowships. He did he wanted our sobriety. But he also knew that, you know, there was a rub there. And um, and he was also a bit of a rabble rouser. He knew that he was pushing some envelopes. <laughs> and uh so I met with him and his sponsor early on and said, This is how we're gonna do this. But first, what I did is I met with our group and said, this is how I think we should do this. What does the group think? And uh, we took a group conscience on it. And did we avoid controversy? Ultimately, we did not, because one of our longest standing members of the group, guy I sponsored for 25 years, uh, called me up one day and left the group, because uh, he thought we were violating the definition. I didn't think we were at all. And I occasionally say hello to the guy. He's still in the program. He doesn't come to our groups anymore. But it it, it pretty much fractured our friendship. Um, but the point was nobody tried to control anybody. And then somebody came up to us, similar to Harvey's situation, in the last uh, six months or so, and said, "You know, there's a guy in here who's he is saying he's sober today." He is, he, so he's not claiming sobriety, but he is having sex with his girlfriend. He's saying he's sober today, so he's technically following the rule, but nobody's challenging him about maybe he could get sober according to our definition and and claim some sobriety by having a period of abstinence with his girlfriend and considering marrying her someday. So we decided we'd just chat with him, and I was not involved in this directly, but Uh, a couple of the guys went and talked to him, and the guy was just livid and accused us. I don't think he called us Gestapo. (laughs) He probably said, Who do you think you are, the Pope? (laughs) 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 But, uh, you know, it wasn't a control thing. And we told him the same thing. And the other guy, too. You can do whatever you want, but this is what we recommend. Because... The world is changing, our country's in transition, our world's in transition, our society's in transition, and I don't know that burying our heads in the sand is is the way to operate, but I also totally agree that fighting and trying to control things, which is my first reaction to everything. My first reaction to everything is how do I control the situation? You know, while I was here, I found out that my cousin died, and my cousin lives in Omaha, or lived in Omaha. And, uh, I got this sick feeling inside, because my wife came, my wife and I came a few days early, and when the conference is over, we're supposed to go up to Austin for three days, so I'm like, do I want to leave in the middle of that, go to Omaha in January, and come back here? But at the same time, my cousin's father, my dad's brother Kevin, lived in Omaha my entire life never missed a wake, never missed a wedding, never missed a funeral, He and, and never flew. Drove from Omaha to Chicago every time there was a family event for 40 years. So I talked to my sponsor, and he said, I think you should just stay put and send flowers. But I just kept wrestling with it. And then last night, I'm on the computer with my wife figuring out I found out it's not that easy to get from San Antonio to Omaha. There are no direct flights. Half the time you have to go back to Chicago. But eventually I figured out if we drove up to Austin we could fly to Dallas and to Omaha and I could do it in about 25 hours. So I'm, I'm, it's done. I'm gonna do it. But in the middle of all that, usually when I come to a conference, it's the most relaxed I am the entire year. I'm just relaxed. And, uh, I've just been so anxious. Should I go? Shouldn't I go? Uh, push it away. Thanks. Um, uh, you know, and then I'm on the I'm on the computer with my wife, and I, I can I I'm not saying any of the things I want to say. Like, hurry up! Why is this taking so long? You know, I'm saying thanks for helping me, but what I'm thinking and feeling is, and I'm I'm just completely uptight because I want to be in control. I want to know where am I going to be when? Who's picking me up? How is it? Oh, my God. So I get control. And there are times I want to control so-called issues in SA. Uh, And every time I do, I get help. I've, I've had a couple controversial, I guess they call them, situations, on trips that I've been invited on in the last few years. And both times I've had to call Harvey and really, really talk it through so that I didn't end up becoming part of the problem. That I could stay part of the solution and in both those cases, I was able to stay part of the solution by focusing on the message and not getting into the 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 debating society um, so what do I think is the key to all that? I think it's the twelve traditions. I think that if we follow the twelve traditions, we'll be fine you know um and uh, if you want to hear some my further views on the traditions, I'm doing a talk on the culture of sobriety tomorrow morning. So I think that's enough for now. My name's Art. I'm a sexaholic. Hey, Art.
1: Hey, Art. Can you hear me? Yes.
2: Uh
1: Before this session, Mike and Harvey asked me to be the chair of the session, and I immediately agreed. Because I like to be in control and and I got them to speak first
2: <laughs> I, did indeed.
1: I want to talk a little about uh some of my experience going back to uh what Harvey has called for me the the pioneer days uh, and and ways that essay has changed well way that essay has changed for the better. Uh, when when I first got sober, uh, I didn't have a sponsor. Uh, there was hardly anybody sober in the country, or nobody that I knew. Uh, I made a lot of long distance calls. Now there are people, younger people here that that, that may that may not mean much to, but. Uh, In those days, it cost a lot of money to call from one state to another, uh, certainly to call across the country. Uh, My wife got so angry about our phone bills that she said, you better not let me see the phone bill when it comes. So I had to get it out of the mailbox and go write the check and pay the phone bill. Uh, But... But I stayed sober. Uh, in the first number of months, I met and became friends with a, a man who wasn't even an SA. And we decided, we had the bright idea we would co-sponsor each other. And so we did that. And one week I would call him, the next week he would call me. And that was a good thing, but it wasn't sponsorship uh i need to be accountable to somebody i don't need to be co accountable to somebody but but i didn't know any better uh, in february uh nineteen eighty eight i got sober i Janu- uh, got sober uh august first nineteen eighty five february nineteen eighty eight uh i got a sponsor and it was Harvey. Uh, still is. Uh, but I, I spent some time floundering around. The other thing is the the steps. Uh, I started out in Al-Anon. In fact, from 1975 to 1985 I went to hundreds and hundreds of open AA meetings. Cause that's the only place I felt at home in the world. I'm not an alcoholic, but that's the only place I felt at home. I went to Al-Anon meetings as well. I qualify as an Al-Anon, thank God. Uh, but, uh, you know what? I've forgotten where I was going with that. at Stop. steps. The steps. Thank you. Uh, so I worked the steps by myself, and even for the first several years, when Harvey was my sponsor, I worked the steps repeatedly by myself uh, and one time I uh, was having a terrible time with anger that was spilling out over my family, and I worked the steps on my relationships with my children, and the steps changed me they did change me now. Subsequently, I said to Harvey one time, I want to go through the steps with you. But in my group today, my home group, uh, everybody in the group has a sponsor. Uh, newcomers, we we really push them to get a sponsor. We say, get a temporary sponsor. Don't worry about it. You don't have to stick with the person. Get a temporary sponsor. Get started on the steps. And uh, and we get some pretty good sobriety that way. And we get some pretty good recovery that way. Uh, so I'm, I'm saying that this is the way that, that things are much better in SA than they were 30 years ago. Uh, one other thing that I want to mention, issues in SA, I have heard members members of s a uh say something to the effect i'm i'm summarizing i'm abstracting uh man i i clicked on a link last tuesday and uh, uh for forty forty five minutes i was just i was just bonkers uh with with the porn but uh thank God I didn't act out.
2: <laughs>
1: when I when when someone asked me to sponsor him, I, I asked for us to sit down together. And one of the things I say is, uh you can do whatever you want. Uh you know the the essay sobriety definition. Uh but as, as long as I sponsor you what I'd like you to do is if you click on a link, if you just click on a link, I'd like you to reset your sobriety date. And they usually agree. Uh, I think to click on a link, uh, whatever comes up, I think that is choosing lust. I think that's choosing to control it. Uh, and enjoy it, and uh, uh, and I and I don't think it's sobriety, and I don't think uh, uh, anybody could build recovery on that. And I'll quit there. Thank you.
2: Thanks, sir.
4: So. Uh, I want to add a little something about a very special person, Jim Egan. Can't even talk about it without crying. Uh, you've never seen a spiritual being in a human body until you were around this man. Uh, I sponsored him for over a decade, I guess. Uh, he had a little more sobriety than we had. And his life was dedicated to helping other people. And when he retired, I never knew priests retire, but when he didn't have his formal duties, he decided he was going to help impaired priests in Ireland. And he goes to because he was Irish, Catholic. And he goes to Ireland. And it wasn't his spiritual place to retire. It was such an awakening for him. And he decides, this is about a six foot two handsome, handsome man. I have pictures of him. He looks like a movie actor, even in his 60s. As lily white as you could be and decide to go to Africa to help in uh, not Rhodesia um, the one Mm -hmm. next is it not one of those that changed its name since I was a kid in college I mean in, in school and um Uganda maybe and he he would come back from Africa and he would first come to Nashville he was from Omaha area and stay with Nancy and me at our home and uh, Nancy always loved to have him around because we're so short so she'd have him change all the light (laughs) bulbs He'd save everything else for Jess, because Jess was a real fixer-upper. And he came to our home one time, and I have a daughter-in-law. God bless her. <laughs> she needs a lot of blessings. <laughs> a tall, blonde gal. She walks up to him, as my grandkids were around, and she said, Are you one of those priests we read about. I thought I'd die. Oh, <laughs> oh a new story? You never heard of this.
2: One?
4: I don't think. So. <laughs> <laughs> if they could tell my stories before I even tell them, they've heard them. And she says, "Are you one of those priests?" And he looks at her, and with this most beatitudinal smile, he says, no, I'm not, but I'm so glad you asked because that's what everyone's thinking anyway, and at least you were able to ask me. (laughs) And she never had a problem again and left the kids in the house with us. On another trip back, he started not feeling well. He thought he picked something up in Africa, but it wasn't. It was cancer of the uh, stomach esophagus. And while it's being diagnosed, they find many melanomas and he took him about two years to die. And at the very end, because not only do we stay with each other in life, but as people are dying. And he, about a few weeks before he died, it was a presidential election. He and I were about as opposite as anyone could be in our political agenda. And he was terrified the person he wanted would not become present. <laughs> and I told him all the reasons he will be present, even though I made him up. and I didn't believe one thing I said and I was not for anything politically he was and I was able to comfort him that's the program the transcendence we have that religion, politics nothing can interfere when we remain on the fourth dimension. He subsequently died, and Don, who was my sponsor too, I, as he was dying, he was in his late 80s, he had 56 years of sobriety, 57 and AA, and I called him. The week before he died, I said, "I want to fly up and be with you." And he started to laugh, and he said, "Don't waste your money, Harvey,
2: <laughs> to fly up. I'm dying. Forget it." <laughs>
4: and he knew how to die. By the way, I would tease him all the time. He used to still work in his 80s. And I'd complain about my job. And he'd say, and I'd say to him, I can't stand it, you're still working, miss that shames me. It's still working, still working. And now I'm 78, and I still am working this job. This guy worked till almost he died. And these are the memories of some giants but remember if a midget or a student stands on the shoulders of his teacher he sees further than the teacher it's you who will see it and get it faster than we got it it's amazing how much quicker you can see things, then we can, or I can. So, great. Go Thanks,
2: Harvey. Here
1: are the guidelines for sharing at this meeting. If you would like to share, please come up ahead of your turn and make a line by sitting in the assigned chairs up front. Do we have assigned chairs? Uh, right How about there, these yeah. chairs right yeah. here, OK? Yeah. Uh, and, and please, while I'm speaking, would you come up and have a seat, and uh, that way we can not waste any time. When it's your turn to share, please speak clearly into the mic so that everyone can hear you. For the sake of time, please just ask the question without going into too much detailed background information. In participation, we avoid topics that can lead to dissension or distraction. We also avoid explicit sexual descriptions and sexually abusive language. The emphasis on honesty, recovery, and healing, how to apply the 12 steps and traditions in our daily lives. No crosstalk, please. If someone feels another is getting inappropriately explicit or is focusing excessively on the problem rather than on the solution, they may so signify by quietly raising their hand. Although this is an anonymous meeting, please remember that anonymity does not mean legal confidentiality. Please do not share any felony for which you have not been adjudicated else we will be required to inform law officials to protect the injured. Please be mindful what you share to not break your own or another member's anonymity. And uh, is, is two minutes okay? Two minutes per share, is that okay? Or? I, don't, I, see, I don't see a lot of people taking Three minutes, can I, can I go for three minutes? To, oh, Mike's telling me
4: to sign. My name's Nancy. I'm a textaholic. Oh, is, is this working? That's great. My question, um, I have a very dear friend in the program. We are very different. And recently we've run into that clanking into each other because of differences, and it's just really puzzled me. I didn't expect it. And... Um, I want to ask if if you've run into troubles in that way that issues get in the way. What kind of keys do you have to offer?
3: I got. I got that one
2: uh, here. <laughs>
3: so um, at, at some conference, I don't remember if it was which one it was. They all started running together for me, but Harvey and Nancy were in Chicago, and Cassie and I invited them out to dinner. In a nice little place on the northwest side not too far from our house and about five minutes into it Harvey started complaining about the current ho- holder of the White House <laughs> who happened to be from Chicago <laughs> and uh, you know I could feel I could feel my blood starting to boil and thankfully the women were there and Nancy just said Harvey you're a guest in this man's city or something like that and Harvey laughed and I laughed and you know I think uh, you know, I suspect, I don't know for a fact, but my my s- strong guess is that Harvey and I have not voted uh the same way very often. <laughs> I was more in the Jim Egan camp. <laughs> and uh you know what? Who cares? I mean, we don't fight about it, we for the most part we don't talk about it, and when we do we mostly laugh about it. Because if I need help, I know if I call Harvey, I'm gonna get help. And I love Harvey. And I I, I think, you know, if, if you read the traditions carefully, it, it advises us uh, to avoid outside issues. Now, I don't know what kind of differences you're talking about, but if they're political, if they're religious, um, I mean, they're irrelevant in a 12-step program. Um, and that's difficult now because there's a lot of animosity out there in the country. There just is. Um, and what I try to do is not bring it in here um you know uh i I work for candidates i'm I'm involved politically, but I don't deal with that here because there's no need to um sometimes the differences are within s a that becomes more complicated, but we still have to try I'll give you one example. I was invited to go to Australia a few years ago, and before I went, there was a member there who literally listened to every tape he could get that I'd ever made and wrote down all the places where he felt I wasn't correct. <laughs> Let's just call it that. Orthodox. Orthodox, Orthodox, yeah. And and then sent me an email that said I had 48 hours to respond to these charges, <laughs> or he was going to send the email to every SA member in SA, basically saying, what a, Jerk, I was, and I responded to this by writing a beautiful five-page speech that I was going to give when I arrived in Australia, and I was telling Art this on the phone the other day <laughs> because Art and I had some trepidation <laughs> about issues in that day. We had a little phone conversation, but I call. I sent the uh, article to Harvey or the speech or whatever, and he sent me this email back. And the first sentence of it was one of my favorite moments I've ever had from Harvey. It says, "Mike." this is a beautiful, beautiful talk. It could not be written more beautifully or something like that. And I'm thinking, boy, this is great. And then the next sentence was, please don't give this in Australia. (laughs) So when I went to Australia, there was a lot of controversy about my being there, and some people didn't come, including this guy. And by the way, my only response to his email was to call the guy who had invited me and say, say. Would you please tell him when he sends the email to every single member in in Australia, which I believe he did do, to take my email address off it, so that I don't have to get a lot of comments from people, which is just going to rile me up some more. And throughout that conference, I just shared my experience, strength, and hope. And then at the very end, the guy got up and said, "You know, there's an undercurrent here that I we know you're aware of. Do you have any comment on it?" And you know. I forgot my five-page speech and I just said we don't have to like each other, we don't have to agree with each other, you know, we don't have to be on the same page about everything. What we have to do is help each other stay sober, whether we like each other or not. Thank God I do like Harvey and Art and almost everybody I've ever met in essay. There's a couple exceptions that will remain nameless, but, but they're like less than 1%. And so I, I, think, I think the reality is if we let the traditions guide us, the traditions are there, I think, to keep the groups from devolving into this kind of controversial conflict. And to the extent that we follow them, and I think there's places where I think we're strong on that and places where I think we're less strong on that, but to the extent that we follow them, I think those kind of differences... Can be uh, minimized and uh, within essay and irrelevant outside of SA.
1: Art sexaholic, I just want to say something quickly. Uh, Nancy, you you already know this, but I want to say this especially for the benefit of uh, uh, people younger, new, more new coming uh, people in the in the room, and that is uh, working out with your sponsor. Talk with your sponsor. Spend time with your sponsor about it. Take it seriously. Your sponsor may have you do some writing, but uh, try to work it through with your sponsor. Uh, I need somebody outside my head, which is a very messy place, to uh, to help me see things straight. Thank you. Uh, now, I always tried to cut you off.
4: We have two motives in life, my sponsor said. The motive is either love or fear. If my motive is love, then I'm not going to want to prove the other person's wrong. This we both lose. So, If we end up talking about religion we're going to get into fear. Like talking about which baseball team I'm for. (laughs) There's no way you're going to convert someone into another team. No way! Same thing with politics, same thing with religion. And what happens over the years? Is very simple. You read people's body language, like Mike must have read mine at dinner. We read each other's body language. We either go into love or fear. Fear, I'm wrong, so I better prove to him I'm right. Or love, hey, this is a dangerous topic. Art and I have not spoken politics in about Ten years, probably. One day we said to each other, "We cannot discuss this subject." It was that simple. We don't. Every now and then, if I come in sideways, but uh, this, we're human. But it's really simple if we're basing our mo. What is my motive for having this tension? For me, it's usually fear.
5: Thanks. Gavin, Sexaholic from Portland, Oregon. How have you guys seen SA change over the years to uh, continue to carry the message that Sexaholic still suffers?
1: I'll just repeat I've seen the importance of sponsorship, sponsors leading members through working the steps.
3: my focus the last few years, uh, has been on, uh, c- helping to try to create or foster stronger groups. And that if you have a stronger group, you know, everybody's responsible for their own recovery. But obviously if you're in a stronger group, you got a better shot than if you're in a weaker group. And so I think trying to apply the traditions to groups is something that more and more groups are doing. And I think that's been helpful. Uh, I think that's helped essay change. Um I think now maybe I'm wrong about this but I think that um people more and more understand that it's 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 lust it's not just the physical acting out I mean Harvey's been talking about that for since I've met him or pretty close um you know or the example that art gave about the guy who's looked at pornography for 45 minutes and comes in and wants to sponsor people because he thinks he's sober well you know i don't even care about technically whether you want to change his sobriety definition or not i mean art says get a new date fine i, I to me it's irrelevant to me it's like if i'm a, if i'm looking at pornography for 45 minutes and i haven't technically touched myself big i, I don't want to swear but big deal like if that's the life you're still living, you're still in the problem, and my guess is you're still miserable. And if you're not, what the hell are you doing here? If you're looking at pornography, having a great time, and you're happy about it, why would you come to an essay meeting? You, you wouldn't. You're here because something you, you know. So I think we've understood. I think we're getting better at understanding that having one leg on one side of the fence and one on the other is is a losing game. Um, And I think one of the things that we're probably getting better at, but I think it's going to be harder and harder, is technology can be used to foster recovery, but it can also be used to get in the way of recovery. Something I don't think would have happened even five years ago. Now, maybe I'm naive, but at this conference, just and I've been in three or four meetings, the number of people I've seen pulling out their cell phones to make a quick text, they're not really trying to interfere, but they just have to get that quick text in. Or that quick message, or, you know, I I mean, I'm astounded that someone would come. We we say in our meeting at the beginning, if you have a cell phone, we don't want to see it. And some people, you know, we have a little short share at the beginning. Some people write out their short shares because they can't memorize them anymore, and I'm pretty soon going to get to that point. We tell them, write it out on a piece of paper. We don't want to see your phone. If you can't take, if you can't leave that phone for an hour to be in a meeting of spiritual recovery, I think that's a problem that hopefully we're getting better at, but at this conference I started to wonder, because I'm looking at even guys with 15, 20 years of sobriety. I'm like, how important is it? Now, if you're a brain surgeon, and you're on call, okay, but short of that, I think we ought we, we ought to be talking to each other. And I'm all for the phone meetings and the and the internet meetings, it's all great, but ultimately it's face to face I think that, that the best work happens. Thanks,
4: Mike. These Skype meetings can destroy the need to ever get out on the street and get a local meeting the whole nature of s a could change s These were twenty five to thirty dollar phone calls we had to make. I remember Roy used to be on some of them with us uh. They were not a preferable way, and I wore out real fast. It got me hitting the streets, going and getting meetings going. Be careful. Now, the good part is that small groups in uh, other countries especially can now have us come without tremendous expense that small countries sometimes can't have. But I basically won't do it without them having a screen and my having a screen. I just won't do these talking into nowhere. So a two-edged source, just like the phone, is you could either look at pornography, or you could call a sponsor. (laughs) The phone has that that double piece. Now, what else is changing? Regretfully, not enough. Uh, We're remaining very naive. Uh, There's an element of control that's still present because the naivety is that you really know and could control what's going on in a meeting. Nashville has about 46 meetings a week in a population of maybe a million. Each meeting a lot of times breaks into two. Our Saturday morning meeting, breaks into four or five when you get 70 people plus 30, 40 down the hall in the Essanon, or 20 or 30. There is no way to know what's going on in an individual meeting. It's just pure naivety. But people can't comprehend it because they meetings tend to be small. But that's not what happens. And until people can grasp that it's God doing all this meetings, not a leader. We have no leaders. We have God talking through a group conscience. So how did God talk in Nashville? Harvey, the dictator, (laughs) wanted people to dress properly. Since I'm an equal opportunity employer, it was women needed not to have their upper parts showing and guys needed not to wear short shorts. I don't know how many years it took me to realize the group conscience was people wanted to dress the way they wanted to dress. I had a face God was talking through a group conscience. I couldn't control it. Do you know what a relief it is to know you can't control it? It's such freedom let go. And so that's my stuff. Thanks, Harvey.
6: Harvey. I'm Preston D. from Nashville. Hi, Harvey. (laughs) So I'm glad you mentioned the fourth uh, dimension. I've been around these rooms since about 2001 and off and on and uh, never really heard a whole lot about the fourth dimension. And then uh, this time back in the room, uh, I've reached out and, and connected with a lot more people in S.A. And uh, there's a friend of mine in Alaska has got several years of writing. and he started talking about reaching, the, he's got I think three or four years of sobriety and hit, uh, he was talking about his experience with the fourth dimension, and uh, I kind of got jealous. Um, and uh, and, and, and I, I was like, I don't understand this fourth dimension. And and so I know you kind of touched on it a little bit, but I'd love to understand maybe a little bit more about what that is, what your experience is with that, or maybe even define. I don't know if we can define the fourth dimension, but I I just would love to understand a little bit more about that, if,
4: if
1: at
5: all possible.
4: Thanks. Thanks, Preston. I think you see it when we start crying. Man, Mike's a tough Chicago kid. And I rarely cry. But you can't talk about this stuff. That's when I'm in the fourth dimension. The fact that I could comfort someone whose beliefs were so opposite. I I get calls from Muslims, from Jews, from Catholics, from Protestants, had to deal with, uh, Hindus. If you're not in your fourth dimension, you're not going to be able to do that. <laughs> so for me, that fourth dimension is the closest word <laughs> I know <laughs> is transcendence. Somehow you transcend who you are. I don't understand it. It just happened. just happened.
3: Uh, What I thought about as I was listening to Harvey, and starting to cry, by the way, uh, was when my uh, father-in-law was in the hospital back in 1993. So at that time, I guess I was sober, nine years. And, uh, you know, my mother was a nurse, And she would come home from work and gather her seven children around to talk about her day. And one of those seven, yours truly, would leave. I never wanted to hear about my mother's day because it often involved things like body parts and blood and things that I, to this day, when I hit 50, I'm 60 now, 10 years ago, for my 50th birthday, my wife's birthday party for me was to sit me down and say, I've scheduled doctor's appointments for you. Your 20-year run of avoiding them is over. Uh, so I'm not a medical guy,
2: <laughs>
3: to say the least. Anyway, uh, he was in the hospital, and at first it didn't seem that serious, but he was, you know, 79 years old, and, and, and whatever happened, you know, in the hospital, it, all of a sudden, he was really sick. And we were meeting with this doctor, and I don't know what it is about docs, at least the ones I've met in Chicago. And I've met a lot of them now the last ten years, but they don't like to talk about certain things. And he was beating around the bush. And I could see my wife, her two sisters, and my mother-in-law just really struggling. And I knew that the question on their mind was, 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 was my father-in-law, was he dying? And I heard a voice in the room say, Doc, is he dying? And honest to God, I'm not exaggerating. I realized after I heard the voice, that it had been mine. I, just, I don't do doctors. I don't talk to doctors. My wife comes with me still into my 60s, because she knows I'm not going to ask she knows I'm not going to ask the questions that I'm not afraid of priests, I'm not afraid of financial people. I'm, not af- I'm only afraid of two things: doctors and waitresses. Everybody else I can talk to. (laughs) So, then he said, yes, yes." as a matter of fact, he is dying. And although it was very sad, you could feel the relief that people had been told the truth and could begin to prepare for it. And then, the other thing that happened was, they had him hooked up to about, it seemed to me to be about seven trillion wires. And, we were sitting there, and 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 I can't even look at that stuff. We were sitting there, and I started to get faint because I, I sometimes in medical situations I will literally fall on the floor and faint. Why do I admit these things?
2: Because they're true. But anyway, <laughs> anyway,
3: I. I was looking at all this stuff, and I was thinking about somebody else instead of me for a change, which is the fourth dimension. And I was thinking, this guy's got about three days to live if he's lucky, and he's got all this. And I said to the nurse, does he need all that stuff on him still? And she said, the only one he needs really is the IV with something, I don't know, water or whatever. The rest of them, I'll check with the doc And as she's answering, she's going through what these various things are, and I I start to faint. I literally almost fall on the floor, and then they kind of stick something under me, and I wake up and one of the smells, one of those things, yeah, whatever that stuff is, and and I and then I just kept talking to her like nothing had happened. I mean, I would almost fainted, but I didn't do what I usually do after I faint, which is first have a little fun with it, dramatize it, make a big deal out of it. Because really, I mean, you all came here to see me, right? It's all about me. And it, it wasn't. And my sister-in-law, after he died and the whole thing was over, came up to me. And she'd always liked me. But she came up to me and she said, You were our rock. And I was just like, impossible. Impossible. So I think the fourth dimension, fancy term for me, uh, for spiritual awakening, a true spiritual awakening, where I can be connected to people in a way, I I like the word transcendence, Harv, I can be connected in a way that left to my own devices I was never going to get to.
1: I'm not going to say anything because I want to give this last member a chance to speak.
5: Thank you, guys. My name is Isaac. I'm a very grateful, carving yeah. Sex addict. God has given me six years, seven months, and some like 23 days. Awesome. I'm Grateful for every single one of those days. This might be more for Harvey, but I appreciate you guys' input too. You know, you talk about letting go, Harvey, right? And that's kind of been a strength of mine. That's kind of easy. Where you know, I oh, can't do anything bad. I let it go. In this particular case, I, I'm growing up in a very close-knit Orthodox. Jewish community in, uh, in Brooklyn.
1: Go the oh, go to Sorry.
5: And, uh, you know, they, they have an organization called SAFE, I forgot what it stands for, and it just deals with alcohol, drugs, and, uh, gambling. That's it. All their pamphlets and everything, it's just geared for those three things. And I was put in the program by the founder of that, or the head of that department, and, uh, I spoke to them a number of times of, of, hey, what about sex? You know, and he acknowledges it's a major problem, but he doesn't have the resources for it at all, I and mean, there's no government funding for it or anything. So there's nothing; they do nothing about it. They just rec- they just recommend anybody who's having an issue to two therapists in Brooklyn, and they one of them is the ones I went to see, and they put me into the SA rooms, and you know, here I am. But I kind of have a, a yearning to do something about it, you know. And he doesn't. He says there's nothing we could do. We don't have the time or the resource or anything, you know. So I, I just wonder how to go about it. I mean, I've spoken to my rabbi about it, and he says anonymity has to be the first and foremost thing. You know, he's at the point where if your story comes out, your kids are not going to get be able to get married in the community or anything like that. But I know there's something I probably can do, and I just don't know what it is or if there's something I can do, or just let it go and 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 maybe down the road there's something. So appreciate what what you guys talk Thanks. about
4: that. there's a uh, lovely book it's actually written by a um, a Jesuit priest who lived in who was born in India <laughs> and he writes all these books and one of them was I don't want to give a title because I'll say I'm bringing in outside information, not approved literature, but it's called the way The Way to Love. Oh, I gave it anyway, oh my
2: God
4: Don't excommunicate me, please and He has this fascinating concept that you ask yourself, where did this message come from? Is it coming from my culture, from my society, from my religion, from my parents? And once you know where that message is coming from, you then say, Is it my message? Do I believe it? Does it work for me? Some of them are going to work for me. I embrace them. But there are some that will kill me. And to thine own self be true. And those that are not affected, effective for me. I have to let go, and we don't have the time for me to share some of those basic things that turned out to be just cultural. There's a lot of times clergy speak to us, but they're really not speaking religion. They're speaking culture of that particular area. And it's for the individual person to study himself, to see the truth of certain things. We're told, even though it's camouflaged in religion, it's really a cultural aspect. And that's up to me. And how do I do that? By staying sober. So all the hell you've got to care about is not touching your privates today and treating other people okay and staying sober one day at a time, and everything else starts fitting in. Thanks,
0: I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members.